Hope Haven is such an incredible ministry, and this is a great opportunity to, you know, if you're praying about how you can serve somewhere over the summer, that's a great opportunity. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Acts. This morning we're going to be considering Acts chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 23 through 31. And as I, as I read this text this week, and, and honestly, like Pastor Doug and I, we, we actually prayed through and struggled, where do we go with, with this week's message on prayer? Last week we looked at kind of the priority of, of prayer and the importance of it, um, and how important it is and how it rightly orients our hearts to, to, um, to imagine who God is and to uh, but also to, to consider how important his kingdom is above even our own and how um, it, the Lord's prayer just rightly connects us with him in regards to how we, uh, how we actually pray. Because we often get our priorities incorrect. We, we switch things up. Our hearts always kind of go back to our default settings, if if you will, we, we go back to kind of what we're used to, to maybe selfish, in, selfish interests, or we, we go back to kind of this idea, whether we admit it or not, of self-sufficiency or even isolation. And, and it's kind of like tires that aren't aligned. When you're, when you're driving, your tires aren't aligned. Chances are when you take your hands off the wheel, if you ever do that, just to test whether your tires are aligned, it's going to start going. I wouldn't recommend it for more than maybe three seconds. But like you begin to, to veer in one direction. And over time, if they're not aligned, that's what happens. And given enough time, we, we kind of go back to our, to our default. And the Lord's Prayer interrupts, it breaks through into our lives and it interrupts the priorities that we tend to set for ourselves in order to break through and what we really, what God really desires for us. And so prioritizing his kingdom and, and his name over ourselves, not just solely focusing on our needs, but focusing on the needs of, of others and ultimately not our glory, but God's glory. One of the biggest things that the, the Lord's Prayer emphasizes is that we must first kind of expand our heart and concerns beyond just ourself and our, and our, own, and our own lives and our own focus. It, it helps us see and remember, remind our, ourselves consciously of how big God is and how big his love is and, and how big his concerns are. And then we ask freely of what we not need and desire as well. And what I've found is that our, our prayers typically match where our, our focus is. Our, our, they kind of go along the same line and, and kind of parallel one another. If we only think of ourselves and consider our own needs and our own lives, um, which is, you know, we're all prone to um, at, at different times in our lives, then our prayers match that. But if our needs and concerns are much bigger than ourselves, then it causes us to pray bigger prayers. And we get to see God move in wonderful ways. And, and one of the things that I want to talk about today is, is this idea that I want us to be praying prayers that echo into eternity. Not that just echo to tomorrow or that echo to, to fill our belly or satisfy us in something not necessarily unimportant, but not eternal. Jesus wants us to be praying prayers that echo all the way into eternity. 
So what we find is that in this morning's text is prayers that come from the apostles and the early Christians after the ascension of Jesus that echo into eternity. And they actually kind of mirror Jesus' preaching, uh, or, or excuse me, his Lord's prayer with the idea of your kingdom come, your will be done. It's kind of an, a further expansion or exposition or description of what this prayer can look like in our lives. So let's look at Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. And when you get there, say word. When they were released, this meaning Peter and John, as we'll see in just a moment, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place." And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So after Peter and John go and, and are preaching, going at the time of prayer to the temple and, and preaching the, the gospel and actually heal someone of, of a disease, a long-term dis- disease, one of the things that ends up happening is they're brought also before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin essentially tell them, you are no longer able to tell uh, about who Jesus is. It's like, you're no longer able to share the gospel. And, and they say, well, I mean, here's the deal. Whether you allow us to do it or not, like, my conscience is bound to obey Christ. I'm going to do it. And so at that point, they, they were released from, from this. They, they decided to, to let them go. And they go back. And instead of praying for comfort, instead of praying for safety, instead of praying for better circumstances, what are they prayed for? They pray and ask God for boldness, boldness to speak. So what happens in our lives when we begin to focus on something much bigger than ourselves, on God's kingdom, is we have an enemy. And the enemy works through a lot of different systems that he has set up. And because of that, there's going to be opposition. Jesus and Paul agree that that if you preach the gospel, you will be persecuted in this life. Because of the principalities of evil and of the evil one. And so because of this, we must, if we truly desire, like this is the the question, if we're truly hungry to see God move in our lives, in our church, and through us, these are the prayers that will be the ones that echo into eternity. 
Not the ones for, and again, praying for safety and praying for some manners of comfort and God to meet our needs. Those are not wrong prayers. Don't hear me say that. But what I am saying is that our priorities should be so much bigger than just those things. That if we truly desire to see God work amongst us and through us, then we must beg him to come and move amongst us, to give us boldness to speak, to give us the power that, that the Holy Spirit does provide, and then come with the, uh, an obedient faith, willing to go out and share, to do what God has for us to do. So after their hearing, Peter and John return to their friends and to the believers, their fellow Christians. This is after Pentecost. So the church has been born. The spark has been lit. There are over 3,000 people in this church of Jerusalem. And big things are happening. God is moving in a, in a mighty way. And Satan doesn't like that. I can't begin to explain to you over the past like few months, how we've begun to see God move in our church's life in powerful ways. People are coming forward obediently in baptism. People are coming to faith in Jesus. New people are coming to our church. We're making an impact where uh, to, to people that, that Satan doesn't want us impacting. What happens when that begins to, when that occurs? He doesn't like it. He's okay if we're a sleeping, if we're kind of just a, a sleeping giant. But when we begin to take away his kingdom in Jesus' name and Jesus' power, we have an enemy that's coming against us. And so here are six prayers, six ways that we can pray with a fervency and in a manner that echoes into eternity. And the first one is this, that we must pray persistently. We must pray persistently. We don't necessarily see that as much here in this text, but what we do see in a preceding text, in Acts chapter 1, we see that this was something that they devoted themselves to. Look at, this is going to be on your screen, Acts chapter 1. This is prior to Pentecost, but after Jesus ascends. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room. Most people believe that they went back into the same upper room that they were in, after Jesus' death, and where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all of these with one accord, here's the word, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The Bible says that their focus in this time, before they ever acted, before they even decided who the next apostle would be as, as they kind of brought in a new 12th apostle since Judas Iscariot had, had killed himself, had hanged himself, they chose to wait and to pray. And it says they devoted themselves to it. It's hard to devote ourselves consistently to anything in this life, isn't it? Even the, the most fun things in our life, we typically are only there for a brief season. Like I used to play tons and tons of disc golf for like three years, four years, five years, something along those lines. But now I can't tell you the last time that I've played. 
Like we, we drift and we change and all of these things happen, but there must be some sort of, of discipline uh, that, that allows and builds infrastructure into our lives that, that we can truly live in the power and presence of God. And it says they were devoted to praying. It's something they did consistently. It permeated and marked their life. It reminds me, this, this passage reminds me of the story of the parable that Jesus tells of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18, where, she's, where Jesus tells the story of this woman, who, this widow who comes before this unjust judge, and she essentially just bugs the stew out of him until he's finally, I've had enough of this. I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to actually listen to you because you won't stop bothering me, right? They're like kids at midnight when, when they want a, something. It's like, I'm going to keep knocking. And Jesus says that he told them this parable. It says in Luke 18 that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. I don't know that the, necessarily the, the measure of our prayers is is the breadth of them, but it is certainly the consistency of them. Jesus says, don't lose heart. There's something about continually that God draws, draws us to himself, reminds us of our dependence upon him, that we must pray persistently. Maybe there, there's someone or something in your life, there's an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, or, or, or there's, there's a, a ministry maybe that, that you would love to see happen, or there's something in your life right now. There's a classmate that you would love to share with, or there's, there's some type of obstacle or something in your life that you're just like, what do I do with this? Jesus says we must come and, and pray persistently, and in that he meets us. And he may not answer in the way that, that we desire or think, but it will always be good and just. And it will always go to his glory. It says they prayed persistently. They consistently did it. Why? Because they believed that God would meet them and work among them. If we're not praying, and this is something we'll talk about in a minute, if we're not praying believing that, that God will meet us in this, then, then prayer is pointless. This is a quote from Thomas Paine in his book, The Greatest Force on Earth, on prayer. He says, their prayer life, meaning the apostles and disciples, was not spasmatic or made in fits and starts, sometimes blowing hot, sometimes blowing cold. But rather, as we find them in the first prayer meeting in the opening chapter of Acts, so they were on every occasion. When they prepared for Pentecost, they continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. When they would select Judas, they prayed. When they received 3,000 into the church at Jerusalem, they all continued steadfastly in prayer. When Peter and John went into the temple, just like in the section right before this text, it is at the hour of prayer that they went. They prayed in the temple. They prayed in the prison. They prayed in the palace. They prayed in the cottage. They prayed everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Would you say that persistent prayer is a measure of your life? That's a hard question to, to grapple with. But it's, it's something that, that we must grapple with. But what we find is that we don't have to pray. Praying persistently doesn't mean praying alone. The second truth, that, the second way that we pray 
that in a way that echoes into eternity is that we pray in community. Look at verse 23. When they were released, again, James, uh, Peter and John, they went where? They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. A really old church guy named John Christosom said this, what we cannot obtain by solitary prayer, we may by social prayer. There's something wonderful that God allows for us, that, that he's designed us to pray with one another. If there's, if there's things in your life that, that you need freedom from, that you need deliverance from, if there's obstacles, if there's someone that's really heavy on your heart, don't feel like you have to pray alone in that. In fact, it's most helpful if you don't pray alone in that. God's created it that we would share this one with one another and that we would pray in community. So we must pray persistently. We must pray in community. But then we see that we must pray with a focus. And this is where your kingdom come, your will be done really starts getting fleshed out. We must pray with a focus on God's nature and on his word. Pray with a focus on God's nature and his word. Look back with me at verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. This is a beautiful thing to me. When they go to the Lord in prayer, what they do is, is they magnify him. They, they realize and recognize how big and powerful God is, that he is the sovereign Lord. And then they, they recognize and put into context all that is, that's happening in their lives. They are recognizing the patterns of what Jesus has laid forth in his word. He's saying that these, they're quoting Psalm 2, which is actually a, a psalm of victory for the Lord's anointed one, pointing all the way forward, written by David, but pointing forward ultimately to Jesus. And they're saying that, that we've known, we can see in your word, we recognize from your word that we will have opposition that the Lord's anointed one would have opposition and the people that follow him will have opposition. But we recognize that you are the one that is victorious over this. We may be praying in defeat because we, we, we're not praying scripture. We may have the wrong perspective. We may not be recognizing the fullness of who God is and how big he is and how strong he is. They believed God would win. They believed that he could move in power. They saw in his word that he had, and they believed he would and could now as well. They believed he was sovereign, not just over their lives, but over all of creation. They recognized that. They say, sovereign Lord, you are the, the maker of heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What that does is, is it, it, it ultimately brings great comfort to them because they know that this situation isn't too big for God. 
This doesn't catch God by surprise. There's something in your life probably right now at this moment that feels too big for you. And that's because it is, but it's not too big for God. And so we must refocus our prayers. Great is your name. May may I remember that your name is, is greater than mine. Your kingdom is greater than mine. Your plans are better than mine. And so I I pray, God, I openly and honestly pray, knowing that there are difficulties. Then verse 28 says, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. All of this is in accordance with God's will. So we must pray with a a focus on, on God's nature, who he is. We, we sang the, the, the idea of that God has a, a thousand names. There's, there's something in the Old Testament or in the New Testament that, that will meet your situation where God has met his people. Go and declare that what, this is who you are, God. This is who you were then. I ask, will you be this now? I believe that you will be now. And so we pray with a focus on God's nature and God's word. The fourth way that we pray in a way that echoes into eternity is that we pray with a focus on God's kingdom and, it, and um, our faithfulness. A prayer with a focus on God's kingdom and our faithfulness. And this is what we see in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all Boldness. Now, what is boldness? I don't know when this note was made in my Bible. I've used this Bible since 2012. But up at the top, this is probably somebody else's definition, but it says boldness, a quiet confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. Where do we receive boldness? It's when the Spirit gives us assurance that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And so they're focusing, praying, God, don't let us draw back in the midst of difficulty. Now that circumstances aren't looking so hot, don't let me, don't let me kind of cower away. God, don't let me doubt in such a way that, that I would walk away from this. God, don't let me, this, this, these rules and regulations that, that say they're going to prevent me and may even bring me harm, don't, don't let them stop me. That's because their priorities were focused on God's kingdom, not just their own success. Because if our own success and our own brand, and if that's the barometer for, for what we're doing in our lives, then at no point in time would we ever go against something that's difficult. We would never sacrifice anything for the gospel. We would never sacrifice our time in serving. We would never sacrifice our money by giving. Everything about the gospel totally reorients our lives away from ourselves and ultimately for Jesus' glory. And so when we pray that way, God, don't, don't let me cower in fear. Don't let me be stopped by the enemy, by these difficulties, by this circumstance. Now, help me be wise about it. They didn't just go out and say, hey, these, these, 
These guys told us we couldn't do it, but guess what we're going to do anyway? They were wise. But at the same time, they, they, were, they were persistent in the fact that they wanted to continue to living, for, living for, for God and for his kingdom, even when it meant at personal cost. These prayers weren't prayers of, uh, of, of comfort, but of mission. That's what one commentary called it. And he was like, this is a missional prayer, not a prayer of comfort. How many of our prayers are, are just centered around our own preferences and our own comfort? They prayed that they would continue to be a faithful witness, that God would even move in the midst of, of suffering. So we must pray for God's kingdom and our faithfulness. That's what they're praying for, their boldness, that they would continue to be faithful for what Jesus had called them to do. What are the obstacles that you need to be praying through that God would, that, that he would give you the boldness to continue to be faithful in that or to begin to be faithful in that and witnessing? We see in verse 30 and 31 that, that God moves. We see in an incredible way, verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and with signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I can't imagine what this would be like. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We pray that in a way that echoes into eternity when we pray with an expectation to see God work. And to experience his presence. Because these are prayers that God loves to answer. And he will not withhold himself. He loves prayers that desire something just bigger than ourselves, that desire his glory. He loves to answer these prayers. Now notice that, that these weren't prayers of, of curiosity. Like they weren't testing God by saying, Lord, like, we would really love to, we would love to see you work, but, in or, but before we go all in, I want to see some, I want to see some, uh, something for us. Let's see something beforehand. That wasn't how they, they, they came in. Going back to the book that Thomas Paine wrote, this is another quote. He said, if the apostles prayed for great and mighty things, it was because they had a great and mighty faith in the almighty God. We probably pray too low of standard because we believe too low of God. And he says, this being the case, together with the fact that they were sure that they prayed on the right lines, because they prayed in accordance with God's will and God's, God, his word and his nature, they knew and believed that God would meet them in some way. They didn't know how he would manifest himself, but they knew that God would meet them and work in a way that was powerful. So it said, he says, it mattered little, little to them if hell itself dropped in their path. They had faith and courage enough to overcome it or to pray through it. That's a good word. And so what happens? God meets them. They prayed in faith, believing that God would meet them and that his presence would fill them with the boldness and strength to, to go and continue to uh, be a faithful witness. And it says they were all, when they were all gathered together praying, 
that it was the, the place was shaken. God met them in a very manifest, powerful way. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this wasn't a filling in like the permanent indwelling that we received. This, is, this was a, because they had, that had already happened for them. This was a filling for the purpose of boldness, to speak in power. This is, this is kind of the idea that Paul brings up in his, uh, in his letters, that we must continually be filled by the Spirit, that we must empty ourselves and ask the Spirit to work in us and ultimately to work through us. So why, did these, why were these earthquakes, why did they happen? Why was the house shaken? Reverend J. Shirley said this, the earthquakes were God's amens to the songs and prayers of his servants. If God said amen to our prayers, what would happen? Like, if you think about it, what would happen if God actually said amen to to the focus, the true heart of our prayers. And we come with, with this last, and this, this shows that they expected God to work, is that we must pray with the intent to obey. We must pray with the intent to obey. When God met them, what happened? It says, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They didn't pray and then say, I'm I'm probably not going to do this. (laughs) This kind of got awkward. I didn't think you were going to meet us, but you did. And I really didn't have any intent on following through on my end of the deal. But they, they believed. They believed God would meet them and he met them. And then they obeyed in faith, believing that he would continue to meet them. That's part of what praying in faith is, is, is that we're praying with believing that he will meet us and, and praying in a way that we know that we're going to obey. The disciples went and spoke boldly. And when God met them, they did exactly what they had prayed for. They prayed for boldness. The spirit met them, encouraged them, and they went. It's so good. And what encourages me is that this isn't a, a special you know, a, a special filling of the Spirit that you and I don't have access to or anything like that. This is the same Holy Spirit that lives in us. Romans eight eleven says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, uh, and he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. It's the same Holy Spirit that fills us, that can empower you, that can empower us. It's the same Holy Spirit. I want to conclude this morning by, uh, by asking a certain measure of questions. And these are ones that, that I've had to kind of deal with and wrestle with over the course of the week that, that kind of show the focus of our prayers. If all of your prayers were answered by God this week with an amen, would anyone or anything outside of yourself be affected? If every single one of your prayers this week were answered, would anyone outside of yourself be affected? Are we praying prayers that echo into eternity? Would anyone new come to the faith? Would you have shared the gospel with anyone? Who would have been blessed other than yourself? How about if only the prayers that were prayed more than once 
or shared with someone else were answered, what would have actually been answered? What would God have done in your life and in others' lives? Let's be a praying people, church. It's where we receive our power. We like to say that there's power in prayer, and, and in some ways that is true. But it's only true because God is who we're praying to. And God is the source of all power. And so let us go to the Lord in prayer for things that are bigger than just ourselves, things that will echo into eternity. Let's pray. God, this was a uniquely challenging passage after last week was comforting. I pray, God, that you grow our vision of who you are, our knowledge of who you are and how big your love is and how big your concerns are and how you want to use us. God, I pray that that you would cultivate into our hearts and lives a full dependence upon you, a desire and hunger and thirst for you, but also to see you work. And that it would change maybe some of the mundane things in our lives with, with spiritual goals that, that, that allow us to serve you in ways even when we're, you know, we're punching uh, the time card and, and we're, we're you know, doing the laundry and we're doing all the normal things, but with much greater purpose. God, would you, would, you, would you shake us up? Help us to pray persistently. God, help us to, to pray things that are just outside of our own comforts, but that actually go to your mission and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.